Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Good morning, Renewal Church of Chicago. I'm Pastor Steve and so glad to open up the scriptures with you this morning. This morning, we are continuing our series called Moments. We're actually wrapping up that series today. And so if you would go ahead and meet me in Mark chapter 10, and I'll read a particular passage of scripture, try to uh, lift up a couple of ideas from that particular passage of scripture. And by way of reminder to those of you who have been with us, uh, and maybe for the very first time for somebody who uh, you have never been to a worship gathering or been part of a, even a virtual worship gathering. We do communion at the end of uh, our messages. And so if you would go ahead and grab your elements, grab a cracker or a chip and some juice uh, and prepare for that. So at the end of the message, we will participate in communion with one another. So when you've got Mark chapter 10, would you do me a favor? My soul will be happy even though I won't hear you uh, if you just shout, I got it, and turn with me to Mark chapter 10 uh, and verse 23. Excuse me, verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And the Bible says in verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Very words of scripture. Amen. The past several weeks, we've been making our way through this series. We've entitled Moments. Uh, and the push of this series has been to focus our lives on being present to God and present to people in the moment. And we've discussed that the reason we find ourselves uh, to be, we, we, the reason why we find it so difficult uh, to be present to God in the moment and present to people in the moment is because we feel this natural pull from society towards hurry. Uh, anxiety and depression aren't uh, on the rise just because of the pandemic, uh, but it's up because they're up because there are so many things vying for our attention, whether it be our cell phone, our email, our social media accounts, advertising, news, YouTube, Netflix. The list goes on and on, and the battle cry of society is more and different, more of this, more of that, different house, different job, different city. The battle cry of society is more and different. And essentially what this causes in us, even if we're in a pandemic, uh, is uh, uh, it stirs up for us uh, a frenzy of anxiety and restlessness as our attention is drawn to so many different things. Distraction may be the greatest threat to our faith. And if the enemy uh, can't get you to sin, if, if the enemy uh, can't get you to rebel against God, a good secondary tactic to keep your faith from flourishing is to get you distracted by things that don't matter. 
and away from things that do matter in life. So what's the remedy to all of this? What, what, what is the solution? What is the panacea that will help us in these perplexing moments? I believe one of the things that Jesus has given us in the midst of all of the things that distract us, in the midst of all of the things that buy for our attention, is that he's given us the spiritual disciplines. He's given us the spiritual disciplines in order for us to focus on the things that matter in life, being present to God and being present to people. And uh, if, uh, if you've been hanging out with us, we define spiritual disciplines from Dallas Willard's definition of spiritual disciplines. But uh, let me remind some of you and uh, introduce to some of you for the first time uh, his definition. He says, uh, the spiritual disciplines are activities of mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being to bring all of us into effective cooperation within the, in, within the divine order. They enable us more and more to live in a power that is, strictly speaking, beyond us, deriving from the spiritual realm itself. Or uh, as John Mark Comer says, they are rules of life that we've structured our lives around in order to be present to God and present to people. We, we, we said that just as a trellis holds up vines in a vineyard and, uh, and uh, they do that, the trellis does that work so that the vine can produce more and better fruit and eventually produce great wine the same way that a trellis does that for a vine. The spiritual disciplines operate as a rule of life, refocusing our lives on things that matter. So far, we've looked at silence and solitude. We've looked uh, at Sabbath. And, uh, and today we're going to look at simplicity. Simplicity. And so to give us some tracks to run on this morning, uh, we're going to look first at what simplicity is not. Second, we're going to look at the lie of possessions. And third, we're going to look at the practice of simplicity. Uh, I want to preach from that subject, simplicity. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness to us today. God, we thank you that you woke us up. We thank you that you started us on our way. And now we pray that as we get ready to open up your word, that you would open up our eyes to see magnificent things that are in it. Holy Spirit, it is to that end that I am available to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and, and he meets a man history calls the rich young ruler. And uh, this man comes up to Jesus in Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. And he says this, uh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, and Jesus says in response to him after a little bit back and forth, keep, keep the commandments. And the man says, Jesus, I've done all of those things since I was a boy. What else is there to do? There's got to be something else, Jesus, for me to do. And Jesus says, go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and come and follow me. And the Bible says that the man went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He, uh, he, he went away in mourning for he had great possessions. Now, the point of Jesus's interaction with this uh, particular man, history calls the rich young ruler, is to show that we in and of ourselves can't keep the commandments of God. The very fact 
that this man uh, went away sorrowful points to the reality that he couldn't even keep the first commandment in his own strength. Have no other gods besides me or before me. Don't, don't build your life on anything other than me. And it's clear that on the basis that this man went away sorrowful is that the things that he owned, his possessions, actually possessed him. He had built his life on them. Now, the point of the interaction is to show to this man that he couldn't even keep uh, the first commandment in his own strength. And as the disciples are questioning the fact that this guy in, in a first century society, people uh, who were wealthy were seen and understood to be uh, people who had been favored by God. And, uh, and obviously this guy wasn't somebody who tried to fake the funk. This guy was a devout guy. He was uh, genuine about all of that. And Jesus's response to his disciples is not to say that this brother wasn't genuine, It was to say that in your own strength, verse 27, it's impossible to be right with God. With man, this is impossible, he says, but not with God. All things are possible with God. In other words, eternal life is not something you attain. It's It's not something you perform in order to receive. Eternal life is a gift of grace. Jesus is the one who steps in, who can do the impossible. Because with him, all things are possible. He is the grace of God. All of us stand in desperate need of grace because there was nothing that we could do. There was nothing that we could earn. Even in our best effort, we allow other things to take the place of God. So we need grace. That's regardless if you are the best person in the world compared to the least uh, person in the world. If you compare the, the inmate to Mother Teresa, All of us have the propensity to allow other things to have our hearts. And that means for a holy God to accept us, we need grace. Now, uh, many of us may have come to this passage and think to ourselves, uh, see that this this is the reason why this brother uh, didn't inherit eternal life. He, he He let other things have his heart. And uh, and I, I want to turn the spotlight on the fact that this man was grieved uh, for he had many possessions. And, and we may look at this and say, see, Steve, he's, he was tripping. That, that guy, he obviously allowed his possessions to have his heart. That's dumb. That's not smart. He shouldn't have allowed that to uh, get in his way of following Jesus. And, and we may be saying to ourselves, see, that, that's what happens to rich people. That's why Jesus says it's hard uh, for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. They let things take precedence over God. But I want to su- suggest to you that while the rich young ruler may look like he's a part of the 1%, he's really more likely the majority of people, uh, more like the majority of people who live in America. 
And, and while you and I may not leave Jesus because of our possessions, we, we may see his main purpose. Jesus, we, we may see Jesus's main purpose in our lives as the means to more possession. We're just waiting to get our blessing or waiting to get our breakthrough or as the urban poet Kanye West so famously put it, wait till I get my money right. So we won't leave Jesus because of our possessions, but we just want Jesus to help us get more possessions. Wait, wait till I get my money right. Wait till I get enough so that then I can truly live. So that then I can flex on you. So that then I can have life in life to the full. Wait till I get my money right. But what if your blessing that you're waiting on or your breakthrough that you're waiting on was really a distraction from what really matters or what you already have available to you? Let that set in for just one moment. What if the things that you're waiting on God to do in your life are really the things that you worship? What if Jesus is just a tag along to get your desire? Let's put a pin in that page and we'll come back to that. What simplicity is not somebody uh, you, you may be amening that and you need to understand that there are generally two different approaches to money. On one side, there's a person who uh, makes money to spend it. And if there was a particular side of uh, an approach to money that I lean towards, I make money to spend it. That's what I want to do. But on the other end of the spectrum or on the other end of the same coin, there are others of us who uh, who make money to save it, who make money to to hoard it and hold on to it. And uh, you saw the stock market went up as soon as they came out with uh, the fact that there may be a vaccine by the end of the year and then the second vaccine uh, uh, news came out and all of that and you saw the stock market rise and something in your soul said oh thank you and not thank you thank God you're doing awesome things but thank you like this is what I built my life upon you see even if you're not the person who makes money to spend it you may have the approach that is just the other side of the same coin. I'm making money to save it. The reality is whether or not you're the person who wants to save it and looks down their nose at the person who wants to spend it, or you're the spender who can't believe people want to save it, the reality is money in both of those scenarios still has your heart. So the objective is not either of these because neither is right. The objective is to steward our resources for the glory of God. There, there is nothing inherently wrong with money and possessions. We, uh, when, when seen in their proper place, they're blessings from God. They are a part of his grace towards you and me. And, and I want to make sure that you don't hear me saying that nice things are 
sinful. If there ever was a brother who liked nice things, you're looking at him, right? But sadly, in recent years, in response to this uh, prosperity gospel message that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and, and wise, and, uh, and that uh, your obedience to God then gives you uh, a certain amount of blessings back from God that are always material, in response to that, there's been a move, ironically, coming from well-to-do Christians who look down on people who have nice things or like nice things because they're seen as less spiritual, but they actually come from wealth. Now, that's the irony. And the reality is that's just another form of, of legalism where it's the objective, where the objective is to have the appearance of poverty, but not actually be poor. So you can have a nice house, but make sure you drive an early 2000s Honda Accord. It's self-righteous legalism. It's poverty theology. And that's not the gospel. How are you going to be mad at me for wearing a pair of Jordans when your parents gave you the down payment for your house? Now I'm all up in your quartz countertop kitchen right now, ain't I? Because all of us have a different approach to money and possessions. And oftentimes it finds itself becoming this form of earning approval from God or disapproval from God. And that's just not, that's just not the gospel. Now, I grew up in a household where my mom had to rob Peter to pay Paul. And I remember one time when I was growing up, my mom, um, man, I remember she just got really emotional. And I was asking her, Ma, what's going on? Why are you getting so emotional? What's wrong? Uh, and she looked at me and she said, Steve, I don't have enough money to buy milk. I can't believe I don't have enough money in my account to buy milk. And that marked me uh, for a tremendously long time. I, I said to myself, I never want to experience that. I, I never want to be the person uh, who, who can't feel like they're in financial peace. Like they, 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 they never feel like they can stand on their own, too. They, they, they always have to rob Peter to pay Paul. And I remember growing up that uh, when you went to uh, when you went out to eat, um, man, it was a rare occasion. But when you went out to eat, it better be a special occasion if you're going to order dessert. And I, I, I remember the only vacation that we ever took was to Kings Island. Now, if if uh, if you remember where I'm from or if you know where I'm from, I'm from Indianapolis. So Kings Island is in Cincinnati. That's an hour and a half drive. That's the only vacation I ever was uh, went on as as a kid. And somebody you might be even listening to me like, Steve, I didn't never leave the city that, that I grew up in. Uh, I've never I've never been on on vacation. But but in essence, what this did for me is, is it said to me, one, I got to get a job. I got to make sure uh, I, can, uh, I, I can provide for myself, and I got to make sure that I can have the things that I desire because I don't want to go to that place where my mom was that day in the kitchen saying, I don't have enough money to buy milk. And that marked me 
So I said, when I got my own job, man, I'm going to have the shoes that I want. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, uh, to order dessert when I want to order dessert, not just for special occasions. I, I said to myself, I'm going to go on vacation. And not just like any rinky-dink vacation. I'm going on vacation, vacation, like legit vacation. And, and, and I just so wanted to have a perspective uh, of life that was, man, there are things out here in life that I want to experience that, that, that are, are, are good and are beautiful and are nice. And I want that to be my experience of, of life. I worked at Nordstrom when I was in college, so I was already a shoe guy, but that just uh, upped my whole game altogether, and I like to experience what the world has to offer. And in response to lack, that the lack that I grew up with, I, I'm naturally in, inclined towards nice things. And, and that may be you too. You, you didn't have a whole lot growing up, and now is your chance to see what's out there. Now is your chance uh, to experience what the world has to offer, to ba- break free from that poverty mindset. And all of those things are good and fine. But here's where things get twisted. Here's the lie of possessions. You see, post-World War II, the American economy became a consumer economy. Our advertisements moved from meeting a need or showing the quality and longevity of a product to uh, this is the thing that's going to make you happy. So advertisements became about showing people what was going to make them happy. And on average, on average, every single day, you and I see 4,000 ads a day. Uh, Instagram and Facebook are creating algorithms based on our online search history, and we are constantly being persuaded that more will make us happy. So we spend more time working to earn more money, to buy more things, to make us more happy, and you couple more things all the while being, being introduced with new things, and what do you end up with in response? It is a life frazzled by desire and constantly in a hurry. See, it's why the French sociologist uh, Jean Boudrillard has made the point that in the Western worlds, in the Western worlds, materialism has become the new dominant system of meaning. He argues atheism hasn't replaced cultural Christianity, shopping has. In other words, our identity is what we have or what we wear. What we drive, what we consume gives us our value. Whether I have that particular car or I have that particular brand of jacket or I have that particular thing. John Mark Comer, whose book we've, we've been utilizing for a lot of, uh, of this series, he, he says, shopping is now the number one leisure activity in America. It usurped the place previously held by religion. Amazon.com is the new temple. The visa statement is the new altar. Double clicking is the new liturgy. Lifestyle bloggers are the new priests and priestesses. Money is the new God. Now hang in there with me. I'm going to show you how the rubber meets the road with this. 
Uh, Daniel Kahneman, a Nobel Prize winning psychologist, and Dr. Uh, Angus Deaton, a respected, uh, well-respected economist, concluded after months of study data from a massive Gallup survey that was uh, produced by Princeton University, uh, that it, it concluded that well-being uh, has, in some extent, it does rise uh, with your income. It, it, it rises with your income, but only up to a certain extent. Guess what that extent is? So they say, yes, kind of happiness, if you will, well-being rises with your income. But once you hit this level, it begins to plateau. Guess what number that is in your head? A, a salary at the end of the year in an annual, uh, annual salary. The number is $75,000. That means that once you can have a roof over your head, maybe in a place that you might have wanted to live, where you can have food in your pantry, in your refrigerator, go out to eat from time to time, maybe go on vacation, be able to provide for your health insurance. Once you reach 75000 and, and somebody, you may be listening to me, and you're saying to yourself, yeah, but we live in, in Chicago, or we live in San Francisco, or, or, or whatever. The, 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 the strange thing about the study is that it doesn't matter where you live. For some reason, 75000 is still the number. And somebody else, you're saying to yourself, uh, uh, man, you know, I, I wish I could get up to 75,000. Uh, 75, and, uh, and that's a reality for your life, too. And somebody, you're like, wait a second, let me see that study. 75,000? Maybe 200,000? Maybe 400,000? No, they say once you get up to $75,000, happiness and well-being begin to plateau. And I think probably that's because now all of a sudden, once you get over $75,000, you have other opportunities for other things, and you're managing uh, wealth, and you're trying to make the right investment or, or, or make sure that you get a certain amount of time, uh, of, uh, of a certain amount of return, and uh, and now you've got a property over here and over there, and you've, you've diversified your portfolio, and now you're managing a whole lot of things, trying to make sure that you still have enough. And the study says $75,000 is enough. And I'm not saying don't try to make more than $75,000. Make, make as much as you can. Save as much as you can. Give away as much as you can. But in the midst of all of that, understand that the more you make just means the more time you spend making it and managing it. And it may have an adverse effect on your ability to be present to God and present to people. And it's important for you to be cognizant of that. So what does all of this mean? Does it mean you should burn all your Jordans? No. 
Uh, th does it mean that uh, you should never uh, drive a Range Rover? No. Does it mean that you should always buy cheap stuff? No. That's not what simplicity is about. You see, minimalism or simplicity, as Joshua Becker says, is the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. It is the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. We're not pursuing minimalism or simplicity for the sake of minimalism or simplicity. That's not the end goal. Remember, all of these disciplines are a means to an end. They are a means for us to be present to God and present to people. So how does the practice of simplicity show up in our lives? Thanksgiving is around the corner, and the older I get, the more I feel like Thanksgiving is a holiday that most resembles the elimination of hurry. It's all about a great meal, preferably made by somebody that you love. Uh, it, it's all about uh, laughter, stories, games, rest, a whole day focused on the things that you're grateful for. And guess what? I can almost guarantee you the things that you would say that you're grateful for on Thanksgiving, these are not things that you can buy on Amazon. Thanksgiving is an opportunity for us to refocus on the things that actually matter. Even if you're social distancing for, for Thanksgiving, uh, Zoom is, is lifting, they tell me Zoom is lifting its 40-minute uh, limit for Thanksgiving Day, and you can connect with friends and family in that way. Black Friday and Christmas are around the uh, corner, i.e. the consumerism is going to be yelling at us in just a few short days. Matthew McConaughey is going to convince me that I should buy a Lincoln, as if anybody ever thought that buying a Lincoln was the most amazing thing in the world. Somehow he can make it sound like it is. Social media is going to blitz us with fairy tales of happiness that come from the things that we buy. And there's a lie I find myself believe, believing. Once I get that, then I'll be good. And contentment regularly seems to elude me personally even. When, when I get that thing, there, there's another thing. There's always going to be another sale. There's always going to be a newer car. And until we actively combat materialism, we will be consumed by it. So, some things to consider before you buy something so that you can be present to God and present to people is what's the time cost of this purchase? Does this thing stir my affections for Jesus? Does this thing bring me joy? The scripture says it's, it's better to give than to receive. Uh, and, and one of the things that's going to be important this holiday season is to focus on others when it comes to the things that you buy. Uh, English designer William Morris said, said it this way. He says, have nothing in your house that you do not know to be useful or believe to be beautiful. Have nothing in your house that you do not know to be useful or believe to be beautiful. John Mark Comer, in talking about this, he says, society says, how do I get more? 
but the apprentice of Jesus is regularly found asking, how can I live with less? Not cheap. How can I live with less? What does that mean for everyday life? Maybe it means you go through your closet and you look for the things that you haven't worn in over a year. And you say, you know what, I'm going to take these things to Salvation Army. Maybe it means for some of us, man, we've just been living willy-nilly with our money and you haven't really ever made a budget. We've been doing Financial Peace University here at the church and we're going to be doing them again in the future. But maybe for the very first time, you need to focus yourself on making a budget. Maybe it means that when you open your email tomorrow morning and get flooded uh, with all of those 20% off sale notices because you bought that one thing from that one place that one time, instead of clicking the link, you click unsubscribe. Maybe you make more than $75,000 a year and you want to buy a Range Rover. It's totally within your means to buy a Range Rover. Guess what? Ain't nothing wrong with having a Range Rover. But the question you have to ask yourself is, is my life structured around the Range Rovers of life? Around the next thing or the next thing or this thing? Or is it structured around the presence of God and, and through the presence of God, your life overflows with generosity to others. And guess what? The beauty of the gospel is that uh, we can do all of the things that I just told you only on the basis of the fact that the one who had infinite resources limited himself and stepped into humanity while living a minimal lifestyle so he could show us that experiencing the Father's love was not only enough, but it was the only true source of satisfaction. And when he died, that the, the one who limited himself and stepped into humanity, he didn't even have his own tomb, but the Bible tells us that they placed him in a borrowed tomb and uh, three days later, he rose in victory over Satan's sin and death so that you and I could be present to the Father and present to people by practicing silence and solitude to be with the Father, by practicing resting on the Sabbath to experience the Father's love by practicing minimalism and simplicity to focus ourselves on the things that actually matter in life. To be present to God and present to people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness towards us today. We thank you, God, that you don't look at things and say, those, uh, those are uh, superfluous. Those are, are tertiary. Those, those things don't matter. But you made it all, and you said it was beautiful. And we can, uh, we can celebrate beauty. We can celebrate excellence. We can celebrate craftsmanship. We can celebrate art. We can celebrate creativity as gifts from you. 
And yet so often, Lord, we allow the things that, that you created to circumvent your place in our lives. And so I, I pray that through our practice of simplicity and minimalism, God, that we wouldn't get a self-righteous spirit to say, look, I'm doing this better than you, but that we would remind ourselves that the practice of it is for the sake of experiencing you. And Father, I I pray that as we get bombarded with advertisements in this season, uh, that we would regularly do battle with the spirit of materialism. Uh, And Father, I I pray that you would help us be people who are incredibly generous to invest in what you're doing in the world, to invest in what you're doing in your local church, to bless others. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 930 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.